The Lord, the Lord's in the house this morning. The Lord's in the house. You know, you don't, um, it, it's a very liberating thing to realize you, you don't have to have a preacher to tell you what God says. You don't even have to have the words of a song to help in the understanding of that necessarily. When, when the Lord is making his presence known to us, we just know it. We just, we just know it. And folks come into this house and tune in to be a part of our streaming services from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different perspectives, all kinds of things that have happened just in the last week. But we're here for a reason this morning. We're, we're here because we're thirsty. We're here because we're hungry. We may be here because our hearts have been broken and our minds have been confused or we've been disappointed in something. I love this, I love this name, Jesus. Jesus is the healer of the brokenhearted. Not everybody has a broken leg. Not everybody has a broken hand. Not everybody has a blinded eye. But you live in this life long enough, you're going to find yourself with a broken heart. A heart that won't think right, won't feel right, won't act right. A broken, it's broken. Jesus is the healer of a broken heart. Don't, 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 don't minimize that power by saying, well, I didn't have something physically that was sick or infirmed or that was broken, and I had never had the Lord heal a broken bone, but I think it takes just as much power, if not more, to heal a broken heart than it does to heal a broken bone. So, so if, you're, if you're in that place this morning, then would you just open your heart up to Jesus? Just open your heart up to him. I, you know, you, you can, we, we, can, we can trot folks through. I, I think if everybody had, had stayed at Alamo City that at one time came through Alamo City, we'd be meeting in the AT&T Center, you know. 30 years old, the church is, and, and that, but that, that's what we've been known for over the years, a hospital for the broken hearts. And so when folks get well and they get, uh, you know, the Lord just puts their act back together, lots of times he just ships us out from here. We're just kind of a launching pad all over the, into churches all over the city and region and, and literally around the world. John and Sylvia are back here from Bulgaria this morning. We're glad to have you, have you folks in the house. And, but but the, 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 thing, the thing that is our bond, the thing that we can connect with, the thing, even though we may not be able to call each other's last name or give the street address, the thing that is our connection is what we know Jesus can do in a heart. Yeah. We've, you, you know, you, when you've had your heart broken, you're not impressed with a bunch of fluff, a bunch of cheap stuff, a bunch of one-liners, a bunch of plastic and glitz. If it's real, you want it. If your heart's been broke, if you know what it is to be disappointed in this, that, and the other, your heart's been broken. And so the real Jesus and what he really can do means a lot to you. 
means a lot to you. So, so I, want to, I want us to settle in this morning on, on this, this theme. How to, how to get your wind back. How to get your wind back. Can I say that one more time? I'm not sure anybody's relating to this. How to get your wind back. I was, I was never a, a, a great uh, uh, high school football player, never great. We, I led my team to the sorriest record they'd ever had and, and um, you know, and, and all, but I was the quarterback and so forth. And enough said about that. That's not where I'm going with my one loss record, but, but what I wanted to say is that I understand what it means to lose your win. I know what it feels like to have your breath knocked out. You know, taking off on a quarterback keeper around the route, the right side, and the and the sorriest tight end that ever put on a football helmet was supposed to block that offensive, that defensive end, and that blitzing linebacker. He he missed everything. He's on the ground, and here they come, and they just. And after after I'm on the ground trying to trying to figure out what has just happened to me. Thank goodness I didn't fumble. I can't say anything. I'm, uh, uh, I, I, can't, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I had my wind knocked out of me. And, and I, I wouldn't, and you, if you've been there, and it may have been soccer, it may have been some other, some, but you just had your wind, the wind knocked out of you, and you, you're just good for nothing until you get your wind back. Can I give you an alternative translation for the name Holy Spirit? Numa, which is translated spirit, is also translated wind and breath. Holy wind of God. Holy breath of God. We we're going to need more than the printed scripture, the written scripture on pages. We were going to need more than information. We were going to need something that would help us better than just knowing what was right to do or what was wrong to do. We were going to need the wind to do it with. We were going to need the breath to do it with. So Jesus said, don't you leave Jerusalem. Don't you leave, don't, don't you run off out across the world trying to fulfill the great commission until this one thing has happened to you. But you shall receive power, Acts 1.8. After that, the holy wind has come upon you. After that, the holy breath has come upon you. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive power, and then you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. How are you going to be my witnesses? Because my very, my very breath becomes your breath. The wind in your sails is the wind of God. We need the scripture. 
We, we need to know what is right and what is wrong. But that's not our problem, primarily. Our problem is wanting to do what's right. Our problem is having the want to to turn away from what is wrong. Where does that come from? It comes from the breath of God. Christ in me, Paul would say, is my hope of glory. So when we, when we talk about how to get your wind back, we're talking about something that the invisible presence of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, and he alone is able to do in your life and in my life. But he's a specialist at it. That's a part of how the, it is how the broken hearts get healed. Is it broken hearts that hadn't been able to breathe, broken hearts that have lost their wind, broken hearts begin to function again. News that you didn't expect, news that you didn't want. Some parts of that news might affect something temporarily, short-term, short-range. But for some of us in this room, we're still dealing with the shock, the sorrow, maybe the anger, the confusion, the fear, the numbness of some news that came that has dramatically, drastically affected our lives. So how do we go beyond that? How do we get back in the game? I want to suggest four or five things here this morning. It's not intended to be an exhaustive treatment of the subject of how to recover from a broken heart or how to get your wind back, another way of saying it. Not in any way trying to minimize for some of you the, the, the great implications, the far-reaching extent and long-term implications of what you've been through. But for some reason, I just feel like we're Today, one of those who are listening and part of the, we, we need this. We need to hear this. How do you get your wind back? Number one, if it's because of sin, if it's because of sin, repent <laughs> and return. If there has been something that you've chosen to do, that you know violates what God says is right or wrong in his word. Get this. Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will do these things. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness 
and judgment. Now, he's going to be the empowerer of Christians. He's going to clothe them with power and send us out as a, an ambassador for Christ, a witness for Christ. But what he will also do is he will convict of sin. When, when, when a lawyer presents a case, the jury hears, hears the case, they meet behind closed doors, they render a verdict, and it is a verdict of conviction. It means that that person is guilty as charged, not of all the sins in the world, not of every crime, but of that one specific thing or two specific things, but it's specific. It's not general, it's specific. Folks, listen, the good news about the Holy Spirit and sin is that he wants you and me to know what it is that we've done. The, the, the devil will paint with his broad stroke. You're guilty, you're sorry, you're going to never be any good because of the things you've done. There's no hope for you. It's all this general malaise of nothing particular, but everything in general that leaves us wanting to quit. But when the Spirit, when the breath of God, when the wind of the Lord moves into our hearts and begins to work in us to show us Here's where you broke God's heart. Here, here's where you grieved the Spirit. Here's where you quenched the Spirit. Here's where you violated something that God said. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you move away from it, you're going to have problems. And we just made the choice to just say, oh, that's not important. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And we find ourselves in the middle of a situation where we're getting some news, we're hearing some things, we're having to, we find ourselves surrounded in something, and it's a mess, and it's hard, and it's shocking, and it's bad. Folks, it's the right thing for a Christian to ask the question when something happens. When we get something that would knock our wind out. God, did I do something wrong? That's a legitimate, accurate, and I'm going to tell you, positive first step. Instead of, well, it was that jerk I'm married to, and it was that idiot I worked for, and it was my daddy and my mama who didn't raise me right. God, what did I do that could have opened me up to this difficult place. It, it, it's not that every phone call of bad news and tough news is tied directly to your sin or my sin, but some of them can be, folks. And the good news is when I say, Lord, what is it? Will you show me? His heart is to set me free from that bondage, to set me free from that place. What is this mercy? Mercy, Elias. Mercy means the power of God dispatched. 
to alleviate the consequences of sin. We talked about that man 38 years flat of his back, and he was there because he sinned. Jesus said that. But that didn't stop Jesus from healing him. Didn't keep the Lord from giving his life back. So the first place, first place to start, you need your heart back. You need strength back. You need the ability to see the future again instead of just trying to cope and just barely make it through and just eke out an existence. God, show me if there's some place where I've sinned because I want to repent and I want to return. Repent means I'm agreeing with God now about what he said all along, but the reason I can agree with him now is because of what I've been through, and I look back and I see where I messed up and where I missed it. And as a result of what I now know, I make the choice to plant my feet, pivot, and go toward him. Metanoia, that, that Greek verb for repent, carries with it the idea of fresh knowledge. I know something now that I didn't know before. Now, that's not an excuse. It's just the truth. And the Lord, your experience showed the way of the transgressor is hard. Well, I figured that out. I got that one. On the basis of that, I'm returning to you. He's the friend of sinners. He's faithful to forgive. If we confess our sins, what? He's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. So we start there. If it's because of sin, repent and return. And folks, the quicker we do that, the quicker we can bring an end to the mess we're in, you know, in a sense. Just, just. Well, let me think about it a little bit. Well, how long have you been thinking about it? About 40 years, been thinking about it. Well, what's it going to take, you know? Okay. Second thought. Threats. Threats aren't terminal. God has another plan. Threats. Phone call. Letter, email, personal visit. And what you're blistered with and smothered by is the threat of what it looks like is coming your way. Threats aren't terminal. Now, some of this we're going to have to talk to ourselves. It's the work of the Spirit, but folks, well, a lot of times we have to do like David did. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Talking to himself. Jeremiah talked to himself. Isaiah talked to himself. Sometimes we need to talk to ourselves. Threats aren't terminal. God has another plan. I want you to find 2 Chronicles, the book of 2 Chronicles, Old Testament, obviously. Chapter 17, and then we're going to look, we'll skip a couple of chapters and end up in 20, chapter 20. Jehoshaphat, 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 what a name, you know, what a name. 
In the first service, I kept, I kept calling him Joshua. And I know it was because Joshua was just easier to say than Jehoshaphat. Chapter 17, verse 1, Jehoshaphat, his son, Asa's son, then became king in his place, made his position over Israel firm. Verse 3, and the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals, worship the false gods. But he sought God. He sought the God of his father followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel, the northern kingdom did, the kingdom now divided. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. And look at this line. And he took great pride in the ways of the Lord. Verse 10, now the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the lands which were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Verse 13, and he had large supplies in the cities of Judah and warriors, valiant men in Jerusalem. Fast forward to chapter 20. Now it came about after this, that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And some came and reported Jehoshaphat. Here's his email. Here's his cell phone call. Here's his face-to-face. Some came and reported Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are at Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat, the king, head of state, commander of the armies, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court, and he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? And art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in thy hand so that no one can stand against thee. Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they lived in it and have built thee a sanctuary there for thy name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou wilt hear and deliver us. And now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, verse 11, but Behold how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out 
from thy possession which thou hast given us as our inheritance, as an inheritance. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord, the wind of the Lord, the breath of the Lord came upon Jehaziel the son of Zechariah and all those other folks. Verse 15, and he said, listen, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out to face them. For the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites, the singers, the musicians from the sons of the court, they stood up to praise the Lord with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets. Put your trust in his word and succeed. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. They just, that was what they were singing. That was a song they were singing. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when, look at this, not before, but it was until, not until. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Threats aren't terminal. God has another plan. You got to say that to yourself. Read that email. Look at that text. Replay that voice message. Threats, self. Self, listen to me. Listen, I'm talking to you. Threats are not terminal. The 
because my God has the ability to formulate a completely different plan. Now, this is, this is amazing. Here's this head of state, crown on his head, robes on his shoulders, and, and he's saying, scared, worried, terrified might be a better word. He calls everybody together who would be affected in the event. He didn't try to keep it to himself. He didn't try to shoulder the burden alone. The word went out. All those who would be affected include the infants, the children, and the wives were with the men, with their husbands, with their daddies as they were doing this one thing. As they were seeking the Lord. As they were seeking the Lord, what they were really needing was the wind of the Lord, the breath of God to diffuse their fear and invigorate their faith. But they didn't have it to that extent until this prophet stood up. The wind of God, the breath of God, moving upon and in this man stands up to give the report. And the report was God's plan. The enemies had their plan. God had his plan. And the access to the plan of God was the corridor through which Jehoshaphat walked. We don't know what to do, Lord. And we are helpless before this multitude. But, oh, our God, our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. And in that setting, in that place, the breath of God blew in upon this prophet Unveil the plan of God for the battle to be won. That message was delivered. And Jehoshaphat the king received the message. He could have said, well, who is this idiot? What right does he have to say anything? But he didn't. Here's the thing about it, folks. There's something inside you that when you hear the word of the Lord, when you hear God's heart being spoken, no matter what the threat may be or the imposing enemy may try to convince you of, when your spirit hears the word of the Lord, something inside you just says, yes, yes, Lord, I will trust you, I will trust you. Threats aren't terminal. God has another plan. What was the other plan? Part of the plan was that these armies, Jehoshaphat, were not going to have to fight. 
the Lord was going to take care of it. But just open your heart to this, please. Open your heart to this. There was another level of freedom. There was another level of deliverance that God had in mind for his people that his people could not even imagine. You see, the Lord wanted the enemies coming against Jehoshaphat not just to be defeated, but to be destroyed. To be destroyed. So that they would never again pose another threat. Now, now, now Jehoshaphat was thrilled at the thought that they're going to be, this, is, this isn't our fight, God's going to fight this. That was good. But what God wanted them really to experience was a further level of freedom from fear and the possibility of any threat coming from those entities ever again. Now, where are we going with that? This is number three. Freedom is where you're headed. Here's the threat. Here's what could happen. But God has another plan. And the other plan includes the further place of freedom that he is taking you to. status quo a bondage hindrance restriction that we've grown accustomed to that has been our life the Lord will bring to an end in his timing but because it's different because we've never been that free before We've never lived a life without those faces and those voices and those kinds of restraints. It can shock us. The thought of it can even terrify us. We, we are more comfortable with the status quo of bondage and restriction and hindrance in some ways than we are delightful of the thought of freedom. Now, if that, if that just is confusing you, just let it go on. But if that, if as that swirls around, that's settling in on something that in your life, it's about further freedom. It's about further freedom. It's about further freedom. It's about further freedom. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, Paul said. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. So what that means is that wherever there's bondage, wherever there's restriction, wherever there's restraint, and the Spirit of God goes to work, His work is to set the captive free. So, so we get a phone call. We, we get this sense of threat. This is what would... God has another plan. And a part of that plan on a bigger scale is to set captives free. I'm, I'm going to say this. 
and somebody is liable to throw a shoe at me for saying this. But because it is true, Romans 8, 28, that we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. What part of all things do we not want to include in the all things category? Maybe somebody married thinking that marriage was the ultimate nirvana. Marriage was going to be heaven on earth. On and on and on and on we could go and then only to realize as you're in the relationship, in the situation that it's a prison or even worse. God hates divorce. Stance in the word. That's true. God hates the word. Separation, he's not even for. But, but when choices have been made and you're locked into a legal bondage of sorts and, and out of the blue maybe, or maybe you saw it coming, but you got that letter from the lawyer. You got that statement. I want out of the marriage. Your heart was to try to salvage it, do what you needed to do and could do to save it, yes. But even Paul would say to the Corinthian church, it's an unbeliever and the unbeliever does not stay, want to stay in the marriage, then let them go. Broken heart, shattered dreams, the deepest and the darkest of emotional human turmoil in those kinds of settings. Be sure that when you read Romans 8, 28, the all things includes that. God causes it to work together. He doesn't cause it. He causes it to work together for good. And a big honk of that good is freedom. So what if in that setting there was bondage, there was restriction, there was restraint, there was all manner of wrong. And, and you, you fought to save it and you, you prayed to save it, but, it, but it wasn't saved. I'm telling you that if I were to walk by with a microphone, which I'm not going to do through hundreds who make up the Alamo City family, I'm going to put a microphone here. What would you say has come to be the greatest testimony to the glory of God out of what you went through? What would it be? What would you say? I've made the mercy of God. He sustained me. He held me. But pastor, freedom. Freedom. Not freedom to go bar hopping. Not freedom to wear out every bed in the community. But freedom to go on with God. Freedom to freely praise him. Freedom to serve him. Freedom to love him. Freedom to be who you are. Male or female. Freedom is where you're headed. 
freedom is where you're headed. And let me give you one more. Y'all got time for one more? Find John chapter 16. John chapter 16, the final hours before Jesus is taken. Verse 16, John 16, Jesus speaks. A little while, and you will no longer behold me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples therefore said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not behold me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. And so they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. But Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whatever a man is, a woman is in travail, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. Would you go back to the last part of verse 20? You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. The language that Jesus uses is very precise at this point. It's not general sorrow. Your your, your sorrow that is a a broad scope, that, that just encompasses everything that you might be sad about. He is specifically talking about the sorrow that they were feeling at that moment at the thought of Jesus being physically taken from them. Not understanding, though he had spoken it, they they still hadn't gotten it that he he would be tried and he would be beaten and he would be crucified and he would be buried and then he would be raised again and he would meet them in Galilee. They, they, they had heard that, but they didn't really get it. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Specific sorrow. This exact sorrow. The sorrow that has to do with my being taken from you. That sorrow of my being taken from you, that very sorrow will be turned into joy. 
Well, we look back on it now and we, we understand that. That had he not been taken from them, taken to the cross and where he died for our sins, put, put in the grave and raised again on the third day, if, if, if that had not happened, then you and I would have no hope. We, we would have no forgiveness. The, the, the very thing, the very set of circumstances that at that point in time they were grieving over, those very same ingredients would become joy, would turn into joy. How does God do it? Only he knows and only he can. But he has the power with regard to the circumstances that have knocked your breath out of you, that have caused you to wonder, can I ever smile again? Can I ever live again? Can I ever love again? Can I ever laugh again? Because of that sorrow. He has the power by his work of freedom, by his work of giving us new eyes and seas, and by, by, by his way of putting wind back in our sails to turn the sorrow into joy. That I wouldn't be at this place if that hadn't happened at this place. So because it happened at this place, I'm able now to be in this place. And so I look back and I see that as the threshold of something further, of something more, of something beyond that I couldn't even have dreamed about or imagined or explained to somebody because I didn't understand what was going on. It took my breath away. This took my breath away. Somehow, some way, the God who loved me sustained me in that. And he was speaking to my heart. It was hard for me to hear that all things, he has the power to cause to work together for good. For those who love him, those who call according to his purpose. I understand the good now. I see the good now. And it's a measure of good that I would never have known standing there. It's a kind of good that is unique to having gone through what I had to go through to get here. Your sorrow will be turned to joy. So in that place, in those places, we hear him saying to us, Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. The last thing I would leave you with is just trust the Spirit to do His work. Trust the Spirit, the breath, the wind to do His work freshly filling us with the breath of God and the wind of God. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. 
Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Seems like an impossible assignment, requirement, command. It would be if the rest of it wasn't connected. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything in prayer and supplication, general prayers, specific line item requests to the Lord, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, for how you got me this far. Thank you for the ways you've rescued me time and time again before and you provided. With thanksgiving, let your requests, let your askings be made known unto God. Your askings coming out of the place where you're anxious. Framing requests, formulating petitions that come directly from what's causing you to be anxious or stirred up. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your asking, let your request be made known unto God. And then he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's saying there is a way to swap your anxiety for God's peace. It's the work of the Spirit to make that peace real. It's the work of the Spirit to keep saying to us, keep praying. Keep asking of the Lord specifically. Keep Petitioning him. How long, do I, how long do I do that? I do that until I feel, I feel, I feel it. His peace taking the place of my anxiety. Oh, I can hear some button-down brain saying, well, that just can't happen. That's just, that ain't going to never work. It's because you had never tried it, Jack. You may have never been broken enough and bankrupt enough of yourself to realize that the only way I can keep living, the only way I can put one foot in from another is somehow if the Lord will help me take care of this weight of anxiety off of me. I'm scared about everything, worried about everything, can't function. Paul says, here's what you do with that. You turn those anxious things into specific requests. And you keep putting them before the Lord until you sense, until you feel. I mean, peace of God is not an academic word. It's not a cranial word. It's an emotional word. How do you know when you got peace or not? You feel peace, right? You can't just define it, describe it. If you have it, you feel it. So so, So let's just let the word say what the word says. I keep praying. I keep unloading. I keep telling the Lord everything that I'm thinking, everything that I feel, everything that I just want him to know (laughs) or wish he would do and stay after it until a great transaction, a great swap happens. All of a sudden now I'm not not crying out from the place of anxiety. I'm just resting because of the peace. 
Doesn't say that the situation has changed necessarily. It just says that something has come now to guard your heart and your mind. And it's the peace of God, and it's the kind of peace of God that doesn't make sense. It passes all understanding. And then that wonderful verse, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope you may overflow in hope. Exude, radiate hope. How? By the power of the holy wind. By the power of the holy breath. By the power of the Holy Spirit. My sails are slack. There's no wind in my sails. Now, as a result of that, Lord, I don't have a lot of hope working in me. Now may the God of hope, knowing that you don't have it, now may the God of hope fill you up, fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound, overflow, effervesce, radiate hope. How? Where's it going to come from? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the words, Romans 15, 13. It's the breath of God giving us our breath back. Oh, God of hope, I'm hopeless. I don't know what to do. I'm looking to you. I'm asking you. I don't need another bit of information. I don't need another chunk of something I got to do and another set of commandments I got to try to jump over. I need something inside me that changes the way I'm feeling about stuff. I just think we have a right to ask that. Pray that way. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope. Not by you trying harder. Not by somebody else telling you what to do. Not by shifting churches and going to another place. But by the power of the holy breath of God. The holy wind of God. The Holy Spirit of God. So Lord, fill me. Fill me. Breathe on me. Those great old songs, those great old gospel songs from other generations. It was a part of the cry of the church. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. I realize, you know, if things are really smooth for you, things are going great, you may feel like you wasted an hour of your time by being in this room this morning. But I'm going to say, it's just kind of my bias on this thing. I, I'm going to say that's, that's the odds are that's probably a handful, if any, in this room. Most of us understand that to live in this life, as Jesus would say, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. 
Now, that doesn't mean he's going to take us out of the world. That means that because of his place of overcoming, he's able to send the breath of his presence back into us. We're still slugging it out down here in this world, and we can know his joy. He breathes into us his joy, his sense of purpose, his sense of, of, of belonging to the Father, and we, we make it that way. We make it that way. Okay. got your wind back? Lord, we ask you, we ask you to give us our wind back by the power of your Spirit. Show us where sin has grieved and quenched the breath of God in our lives. Take us to the place of specific confession. You have said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, Lord. But then, Lord, when that's been dealt with, and if that's not even the issue, but it is that someone with a threat has come, and the threat has scared us, paralyzed us, just held us in a place of retreat, God, would you remind us threats are not terminal because you have another plan. Would you remind us that freedom is where you're taking us? Remind us that our sorrow will be turned into joy you'll give us the ability to trust that your spirit will do the work of giving us our wind back. Come, Holy Spirit, breath of God. Fill us, Lord. Fill us. Fill us. Fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.